Now, congregation, I loved my high school years. Every day was a blessing and a joy, except Valentine's Day. And I'll tell you why I hated Valentine's Day. Firstly, because I never, not once, got a Valentine's Day card. And secondly, I never, not once, received a response to the Valentine's Day cards I sent out. Maybe, maybe it was because I often sent out more than one to different girls on the same day. If I can pass on some wisdom to anyone here, um, do not send Valentine's Day cards to girls or boys who are sisters or brothers of one another or friends with each other on the same Valentine's Day. The worst thing about Valentine's Day, however, is the uncertainty associated with the exercise. Does she like me? Will she respond? Why doesn't she like me? Why didn't she respond? Why didn't anyone respond? Not ever for four years. Okay. What I'm trying to get across is that uncertainty is torture. And the apostle does not want us to be uncertain about God's love for us. He wants us to be certain of our relationship with God. And in this letter, he gives us three practical ways by which we may know that God loves us. And one way to know that God loves us is to be assured of his presence with us. So the apostle writes, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. The word here is meno, and it means to remain, to stay in him, to him and him in us. He specifies in our text this morning the assurance of God's presence with us as a way by which we may know that we are loved by him. But how can we know that God is with us? Well, he says, because he has given us his spirit. This is verse 13. So as Jesus was God with us, the Spirit is now God with us. But how can we be sure that God did indeed give us His Spirit? Well, firstly, John gives us the primary evidence, the testimony of the eyewitnesses. He says that we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Verse 14. So they have seen these things. They were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life. Death resurrection and ascension. They saw him heal the sick, raise the dead, and among other miraculous things, they saw him walk on water. They also heard him teach about the new birth, the new heavens and the new earth, and the Holy Spirit. And what he told them about the Holy Spirit was that the Holy Spirit would come to be with them when he leaves. And then the apostles saw this happen. They saw it happen at Pentecost. So they saw. They were eyewitnesses. But you may say, and you would be right, that there were many eyewitnesses of these things. But not everybody believed. Not everybody testified. But the apostles did believe. The apostle did testify. And that's the point. They saw and were given faith. Their eyes were opened. And because they believed, 
they testified to the truth. Now, this is the evidence he gives, you see. He is saying that those who have seen would not have believed unless they were given the Spirit. More than that, they would not have testified unless they were given the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit of God gives utterance. Look at every time someone is speaking boldly for God. It is when they are filled with the Spirit. Stephen, filled with the Spirit of God, spoke and testified to the truth. Peter, filled with the Spirit, spoke and testified to the truth. Paul, filled with the Spirit, spoke and testified to the truth. And so it goes on. The proof that you are filled with the Spirit is that you believe the testimony of the apostles and testify to what you believe. Believe what? Verse 14 and 15 tells us. You believe their testimony that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world and that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent. But you might also say that the demons believe. They believe this and tremble. And many more might believe this and still be turned away on the last day. Why? Because to simply believe that Jesus is the Son of God who saves sinners is not enough. We are to believe that God punished Jesus instead of us. Jesus was the propitiation for sins. We are to believe the gospel that the sacrifice made by God in the person of Jesus Christ was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. We cannot add to it in any way. He did what needed to be done, and we must look to Him alone in faith as our Savior. And whoever believes this in the world, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, tribe, or gender, Whoever believes that they are saved by grace alone through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then confesses it can be sure that God's abide, God abides in him and he in God because to such a person the Lord has given his spirit. You would not be able to do otherwise. So really what the apostle is saying is that the Spirit convicts us of the truth and gives us confidence in the truth so that we may testify to the truth. But you might say, I'm no Billy Graham. I'm no evangelist. You don't have to be. Do you testify to your children that Jesus is Lord? Your grandchildren? Do your friends know that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? You might be the only one in your household that comes to church, but the point is that does your household know that you come to church because you believe that Jesus died so that you may live? Has the Spirit convicted you of the truth? And has He given you the confidence to testify to the truth to the people you come in contact with? Do they know that you believe? That's the question. And if they know, then you may know that you have been given God's Spirit and that He is thus abiding with you. And in seeing the presence of God's Spirit with us, we are assured of God's love 
for us in that we come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. This is verse 16. Why do we come to believe that? Because the apostle said in verses 7 to 12 earlier that the love of God was manifested. It was made visible in the giving of his son to the world. So we come to know the love of God by believing in the manifestation of his love. In other words, the incarnation. And thus we are assured of his love for us. Do you know why many people think God is unloving? Just the other day I spoke to a person who said she doesn't like the God of the Old Testament because he's unloving. But the thing is, is that they believe that God is unloving because they do not believe that he sent his son to the world out of love for us. When we see such an act of love and truly believe that he did it for us, then we will know that God is love. And that is the grand statement of this particular section of the letter. The proclamation that God is in his very nature love. It's who he is. And because he is love, he only acts out of love. If he does an unloving thing, he would not be God. And because he is love, he is the source of all love. He is the spring from which love flows. There is love in this world because it was created by a God who is love. And whoever abides in love then abides in God and God in him because God is love. I want you to see the perfect logic of the apostle here. God is love. That's the statement. So love originates in him. So if the love of God, the love described in verses 9 and 10, for example, is visible in us, and if we act out of love in the same manner, certainly not degree, but the same manner as God, then God must be present with us. God is love, and where his love is manifest, there he is present. So we cannot display his love unless he is abiding in us. And if he is abiding in us, then we must be abiding in him. That's the assurance. That's the test. Have it and have certainty. So then continuing on, further evidence of God's presence with us is seen in the manifestation of God's love through us. And this is as we read in verse 12, for example, how love is perfected, again mentioned in verse 17. It is completed with us in our love for one another. It reaches its fullness in that we illustrate the love of God. In other words, we literally display for all to see, we make visible the love of God. It overflows from Him through us. And because God is love, we thus make the invisible God visible as His love is manifested in the love of His children for each other. And in that way, God assures us of His presence through His Spirit who gives us faith and courage to speak and confirms His presence with us by displaying His love through the love of those whom He abides with. 
And thus we have confidence, still verse 17. We have confidence for the day of judgment because as He is, because as He is, so also are we in this world. And this is assurance then of His love on the day of judgment. Why can we look forward to the day of judgment? Because we are as He is. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that we who are in the world will be treated by God as children of God when the Son of God comes back to judge the world. It means that the Father looks upon those cleansed by the blood of Christ and sees not their sin, but the righteousness of Christ transferred unto them. We are as He is, righteous in the sight of God. So the apostle writes that we already are as He is. This is the certainty of salvation. The truth that nothing can separate us from His love. That He will never leave us nor forsake us. That He will not lose any of those whom the Father has given Him. That the work He begun in us will be completed on the day of Christ Jesus. It is the present certainty of future reality. We are now in the same state of righteousness before God as we will be on the day of judgment. We are righteous as Christ is righteous. But you say, I still sin. I still fall. How can I be righteous? I'm not sinless. Yes, we are being transformed into the image and likeness of Christ. The broken and marred image of our fallen nature is being restored. We are being sanctified unto glory, yes. But this is happening because, because we have right standing before God. Because the children of God, for the sake of Christ, are no longer guilty before God. Sure, we must grow in holiness, grow in love, grow in knowledge of God. We will do this for eternity. Sure, we must, in this life, work out our salvation with fear and trembling, relying on the Spirit to work in us both to will and to act according to His good purposes. Sure, we are not yet glorified, but we are children of God. God has declared that he will not punish those in Christ Jesus for their sins because Jesus died on the cross for their sins. And on the basis of Christ's righteousness, as Christ is righteous, so you are as he is in the sight of God. And because of that, you need not fear the Lord's return. You need not fear death. You see, such certainty casts out. It, 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 such completed love literally throws out all anxiety concerning the last days, concerning the life year after. What is there to be afraid of? If the judgment day means eternal rest in the presence of God who is love, why fear? 
It's like being afraid of getting everything you ever wanted, being afraid of eternal happiness and infinite joy. How can you be afraid of such things? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Verse 18. In other words, if you abide in his love, then you will look forward to the coming of your Lord. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. Still verse 18. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only reason to fear the final judgment, the only reason to fear death, is that if you are awaiting punishment, and the only people who need to fear punishment are those who are not in Christ, those who are in the world, but who are not as He is. And many will bow their knee in fear on that last day. Many will. You see, some will bow the knee in love and adoration to their king, but others will bow in fear and trembling. Why? Because they have not been perfected in love. The love of God was never in them. They never loved God. And thus was never in his love. But we, those who are in Christ Jesus, are here assured of our love for him. Why? The apostle tells us in verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Let's unpack that a little bit. We need to realize that the love of God is self-generating. He loves because he is love. He does not love as a response to something. He is love. And whether or not he loves me or you does not change the fact that he is love. That's the bottom line. He could still be love without acting in love for us or the world for that matter. The astonishing thing about the Lord is that he chose to act in love towards the world. He chose to direct his love towards sinful men and women like you and me. And why did he do this? Was it because of something we did? Did we do something to entice his love? Well, no. Because God doesn't react in love. He initiates love. When I met my wife, Jamie, I'll just tell you that I was smitten with her from the very start. And I remember thinking to myself that I must do everything I can to win her affection. So I showered every day. I shaved, put hair gel in my hair. I even bought fire and ice deodorant. Has anybody heard of that? Fire and ice. I was supposed to make you irresistible. Uh, I did all these things to secure her affection. But little did I know that there was really nothing I could do to earn her love. It was her choice. And even though I still like to believe that the fire and ice helped, her love for me was based on her decision to love me. I could not manipulate her or trick her into loving me. And that really is the nature of love when you are on the receiving end of it. God loves us because he chose to love us. We did not do anything to deserve it. It started with him. He took the initiative and it flowed from him unto us. And the point the apostle is making here in this grand statement is that when God loves us, we will respond in love for him. 
No matter how hard I tried to convince myself that Jamie was powerless to resist my charm or dimples or fire and ice, she could resist me. I was resistible. But God is irresistible. His love for us, we cannot resist it. You see, multiply the love a husband and a wife has with infinity. And imagine that concept in terms of God and place it in the frame of God choosing to love you. Then you begin to see what the apostle is saying. When we come to know his love for us, we will love him. It is inevitable, because, but we love him because he loved us first. When we see his love for us and fully comprehend it, the natural reaction is to want to love him more. And his love is so deep and so far and so wide that it flows through us unto others. So the apostle writes that anyone who says, I love God, and hates his brother is a liar. Looking at verse 20. Why? Because he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This really brings us back to the gift of faith that comes with the Spirit living in us. You see, faith is to believe in the things not yet seen. And blessed are those who have seen and believed like Peter. But even more blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. Why? Because they have been given the gift of faith without sight. And thus they can walk by faith and not by sight. And we cannot see the invisible God. God is spirit and cannot be seen by human eyes. But how God is made visible is through the manifestation of his love for his people in the love shown by his people for one another. So the invisible God becomes visible in the love we display for one another. So if there is no love, there is no faith. And if there is no faith, there is no spirit. And if there is no spirit, and if the spirit is not abiding, then God is not abiding. Can you see why it is so, so important for us to love each other? Why it is so important to love our enemies and our neighbor? Because it is a sign that God who is love is abiding in us. God's love overflows through us to those whom he loves. This is the most direct way by which God loves. It is the primary means by which God loves his people, in his people loving each other. And if the Spirit is abiding, then we are enabled to manifest the love of God. Isn't that glorious? By the power of the Spirit, we are able to love as God loves. And this is why Jesus gave the commandment, verse 21. He gave it in the Gospel of John, but John is here referring to the Gospel. He says his commandment in verse 21. But Jesus gave the commandment, love one another as I have loved you. This was no sentimental request. It was a commandment. It was the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself applied in the light of Christ's love for us. We must love one another as God loves us. But see how it all 
fits together. See how it all flows into one. We can love each other because God loved us first. And he manifested his love in the giving of his son to the world as a sacrifice for our sin. And from such love flows the love of the son for the father. And that he, in that he humbled himself unto death for the propitiation of those whom God loves. This love then again flows over in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that enables the love of God to flow into the world continually through the people who abide in His love. All these things are interdependent upon one another. They all fit together. One doesn't go without the other. The more you reflect on the love of God, you realize it's like the dearest hell bunny. It just keeps on going and going and going. It never stops. That's why the Apostle Paul, when reflecting on the love of God, he could just, he just relented and said how deep and how wide. Can you see why the Apostle writes that whoever loves God must also love his brother? Again, verse 21. It's impossible not to. The command is not so much a command than an inevitability. It must happen, happen because God is love. And he chose to love those whom he came to save. And he saved, saves those who love him and keep his commandments. But we cannot love him unless he first loved us. So his love is revealed in our love for each other, which being the love of God manifested in and through us, imitates the love of God, thus revealing Christ by whose name we are saved from the wrath of God. Congregation, this passage is not an exhortation to love one another. The apostle has given his exhortation earlier in 7 to 12, verses 7 to 12. Here we see him reassuring his readers that love for each other is a sign that you are saved. It is a way by which we may know that we abide in him and him in us. So look to the love you have for each other and be assured of your faith. Because the message this morning is that you would not love others if God did not first love you. So let no one here today doubt that they are loved by the people of God. If you're a stranger, if you're here for the first time, know today that the people here will love you. If you're someone here who has come for centuries <laughs> know that you are loved know that you are loved by the people of God and beloved let no Christian doubt today that he or she is loved by God for the sake of his dear son Jesus Christ Amen